Happy Easter, new community. It is great to be with you here. Um, welcome to everyone who is visiting for the first time. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Mickey Sanchez, and I've been attending Newcom for about six years. Um, I am the husband of one wife. Uh, my wife will be put on the screen and my family in a sec. Um, that's my family, Michelle. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I'm married up, and um, my, <laughs> my wife, she works for the denomination that our church is a part of, the Evangelical Covenant Church, um, as the executive minister of Making Deep and Disciples. Um, one of the, I wear two hats here at the church. I am on the leadership team, which is like the elder board if you're uh, not familiar with what a leadership team might be. I also serve with the youth. So can I get an a amen from the youth? Where are the youth? All right. Awesome. It's, it's super fun to uh, work with the youth. It keeps me, uh, keeps me young and helps me uh, stay in touch with the lingo. Um, so I might try to use some of that as I preach to the youth today. Some of them might be thinking that's a little cringe. I already started. See what I did there? Um, but, yeah, that might continue. Um, so my, my full job, though, uh, my day job is I work for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. Um, yeah, that's right. I work with uh, grad students and faculty at Northwestern. These are some of the grad student leaders. Yeah, awesome. Um, I, yeah. And so uh, one of the things that I want to do, because the Newcom is a supporter of our ministry, is a quick update just for all your support. Um, this past year has, has been great in, in some respects. Um, we've had uh, our leadership team is very, very well jived together. They, they've got a huge amount of fellowship with each other, more than it's ever been since my six years here. Um, and that really helped. One of our student leaders had a tragedy happen this past year, which she gave me permission to talk about a little later in the sermon. Um, and so we came around her because our fellowship as a leadership team and as the rest of the broader community was so strong. Um, we've also uh, doubled our regular attendance in our, in our small groups, in our uh, large groups. So that's been great. And our faculty ministry um, has been doing really well. We've had hundreds of faculty coming out to talk about science and religion, how those things go together. So it's been really a, a banner year in many ways. We hired somebody, and um, we also are having a, an Old Testament professor come and join us every now and then. He's volunteering, and he might come on uh, as staff. So really excited. And um, it's amazing to see all this is as a result of the partnership that Newcom has with us on campus. So thank you. Um, now, one of the things that uh, I, I like to do on campus is talk about people's doubts. I've mentioned this before. It's, it's, a, it's a reason I'm doing ministry. And uh, today is Easter, and it's actually of central importance to, to our faith. And um, it's so important to our faith, actually, that our daughter, Hope, um, who you'll see pictured up, up, up there, um, she is, her name is Hope Anastasia. Um, so yeah, that's Hope. And um, Anastasia is uh, from the Greek word anastasis, which means resurrection. So her name is literally Hope in the Resurrection. And in the next picture, you'll see that she's already pointing people up to, to Jesus, even at a young age. Can you believe that? She got some kind of anointing there. So in order not to make this go super long, because normally when I talk about the resurrection with people, it takes a while. It takes a few weeks. So what I'm doing, this is just the start. <laughs> so, so yes, it'll be a while today. No, this is the start of a conversation. As Emily said, there'll be a, a question and conversation time. So I'm hoping if you're like, hey, you were a little too fast with that. I don't agree with that. Please come up. And, and, uh, or if you don't like the words I'm using that are, are cringe, come up and tell me about it afterwards. So, so I'm just going to talk about this through kind of my personal story a little bit. So the resurrection became important to me in high school uh, because in high school, I had wanted to leave the faith. I grew up in the church, but I didn't want to be part of it anymore. I had an opportunity in high school to rebrand myself as one of the cool kids. Um, right. So, so I wanted to pursue, uh, I was in New York City, I wanted to pursue the gangster life. This was the 90s. Um, so yeah, yeah, you know, pursue. Pursue the ladies, maybe some uh, narcotics that aren't legal and other things. Um, now, uh, it, there might be a picture of me when I was a teenager. That was me in the middle. Yeah, yeah. I had actually, I think I'd already come to faith by then, so I'm a little cleaned up. But, um, 
but I'm not very, yeah, I still have a, an attitude. But so, so um, as I'm trying to live this gangster lifestyle, and by the way, just to give context, I went to a magnet high school in New York City. So it was kind of like nerdy gangster, not really like totally gangster. <laughs> gangster compared to those who are trying to get into elite schools, kind of. Uh, but, but, so, but, but that lifestyle, whatever it might be, was in conflict with, with my Christian faith. I didn't want to go to church, and it told me I shouldn't do a lot of the stuff I, that I wanted to do. I just wanted to live my life, so I wanted to get out. And what I did was I started listening, actually, to sermons for the first time. And I was listening for any contradictions I might hear, for anything that might be a logical fallacy or anything I could use to say, ha, this isn't true. And I found stuff. I did find stuff. I started paying attention in classes at school, especially science classes. Um, I'd recommend it, youth, you should pay attention in class. Um, and uh, I found, I started thinking, hey, you know what? I don't know that science and religion go together. And so I was like, aha, I'm going to leave this totally behind. I'm going to drop it like a bad moldy pizza. And uh, I like pizza. And so I, but, but then it, it occurred to me, it occurred to me that my reasoning here was basically I didn't want this to be true because I wanted to live my life. And so I found reasons for it not to be true. I don't know if this has ever happened to you or you know somebody like this, but um, it's not uncommon. There is an agnostic philosopher, uh, Aldous Huxley, and he says this. He said, uh, I had motives for not wanting the world to have a meaning. Consequently, assumed that it had none and was able without any difficulty to find satisfying reasons for this assumption. That's basically my story, except with more gangster in it. Uh, so, so it dawned on me that um, if, if Christianity was really true, and I had, I had jettisoned this because I just wanted to, I ghosted Jesus. If I had ghosted Jesus, and he was actually who he said he was, I'd be missing out on eternal life. So I was afraid of missing out on gangster life, but if Jesus was true, this life might actually be better. So I realized I needed to give Jesus another look, a fair look. But where would I start? I mean, the Bible's huge, right? Like, where do you begin this kind of investigation? Thankfully, a few Christians pointed me to 1 Corinthians 15, which is our passage today is 1 Corinthians 15. I'm not going to go in order, but this part stuck out to me. Verse 14 says, And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die." Paul is saying, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, drop this religion as fast as you can and go party. I could get behind this logic. Or as Ivan Karamazov in uh, the Brothers Karamazov uh, wonders in, in Dostoevsky's book, if God does not exist, then everything is permitted. So this is what I was thinking. So what helped persuade me that the resurrection happened? So let's move on to our second point. Our first point was, what's the importance of the resurrection? It's crucial to our faith. Now let's look at what gives us confidence in the resurrection. And, you know, to be fair, I don't have enough time to do it full justice, but I'll give you my perspective. The thing, there's one thing that basically, whenever I have doubt, even today, this question makes me doubt my doubts. And that question is, why did Jesus, why did Jesus' messianic group continue after his death when 12 or so other messianic groups ended when their messianic leader died. I'll say that again. Why did Jesus' messianic group continue after he died? There were 12 other messianic groups as well, people who claimed to be the Messiah and all this, but when their leader died, their followers abandoned their leader. A Messiah, if you don't know it by definition, was not supposed to die. They were supposed to overthrow the Roman Empire, which was which had colonized Israel and oppressed uh, that marginalized community. 
And there were a number of other groups that were trying to overthrow the Roman Empire. This was something that they felt was predicted in the scriptures, in the, in the Hebrew Bible. And so a few people were like, we're going to do it. This is us. But when that person died, they left. Sometimes they died fighting with them, but often they were like, oh, not the guy. That's not the guy. Um, agnostic New Testament scholar Bart Ehrman puts it this way. Most Jews rejected the claims of Jesus' followers that he was the Messiah because Jesus was just the opposite of what the Messiah was expected to be. Rather than a powerful figure who destroyed God's enemies, Jesus was a lower-class peasant who got on the wrong side of the Roman law and was squashed by God's enemies, the Romans. That's the key. The crucified Christ is the stumbling block. That's what Paul says. To Jews, the idea that Christ, Messiah, would be crucified was a sign of weakness and evidence of absolute foolishness. No wonder most Jews didn't buy it. It didn't make any sense that a crucified Messiah, a crucified man would be the Messiah. So why did Jesus' followers behave differently than these other messianic groups? Paul says, in the beginning of 1 Corinthians 15, he says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. So the difference Paul is saying is that Jesus didn't stay dead. All the other messianic figures, they died. That was it. End of story. Jesus died and something happened that changed their worldview. Uh, New Testament scholar N.T. Wright puts it this way. He, and this is me paraphrasing a, a really long quote. He says, uh, the only way a Jewish group could have come to believe that their Messiah would have been raised is if it actually happened. If you go through all the data of the New Testament, all the data of ancient history, all the data about what Jewish people believed back then, and you think, well, did they think, did they actually see a ghost? Because most scholars actually think these guys the disciples saw something. They believed, they claimed they saw something. Nobody really doubts that. What they doubt is, was it a hallucination? Was it cognitive dissonance? Was it a ghost? And N.T. Wright says, if you put all that in, con in conversation with the data back then, you realize that it doesn't really match up. They had categories for ghosts. They, there's a word for ghosts. They didn't use that. They didn't use these other languages. And 500 people, I mean, more than that, having like hallucinations or just some kind of guilt, all the same kind of thing? Very unlikely. So that troubles me when I have my doubts about Christianity. It's like, how can I account for that? And you know what? N.T. Wright says, when he wrote this 800-page book about the resurrection, he gave it to one of his philosophy tutors at Oxford, and the guy said, it's a good argument. I just choose to believe it didn't happen that way. I choose to believe there must have been some other explanation. And he's like, that, that's okay, because I can't bully you into believing this. This is now a worldview question, right? If you say miracles aren't possible or are so highly unlikely, then by definition, when you look at the resurrection, you're going to say no. It's just a circular argument there. Um, Bart Ehrman, the guy I quoted before, he'll also say, he said publicly many times, he, he doesn't know what happened. I have no idea. Because a lot of what is proposed out there doesn't make sense. But something else must have happened. Something else must have happened. And I think, well... Maybe, or maybe that's just a faith position that you have in the unlikely nature of miracles. And I don't have enough time to get into that right now, but I'd love to talk. So afterwards, please do come up and let's talk about miracles and whether that is a thing that might, should be hanging you up. But for some people, um, like Thomas Nagel, who's a philosopher at NYU, he'll say something, um, he'll say, you know, I'm troubled by how many smart Christians are out there, people I respect, and it bothers me. I don't want the universe to have a God. I don't want it to be like that. So sometimes it's, it's not just even our um, like doubt about miracles. It can also be like, maybe for some of us, we don't want the universe to be ordered in this way. We don't want to be beholden to a God. 
And I wonder if that's, if that's necessary, if that's maybe because we understand Christianity in the wrong way. When I grew up, I thought Christianity was just, you do good things, you be a good person, so you get to heaven. Boring, right? And it's not, not something that was very, uh, something I wanted to get behind. Um, <laughs> and if you're, if you're a follower of Buddha or Muhammad or whatever, they're all saying the same thing, right? Be good so you can get to heaven, get to paradise, nirvana, whatever. I didn't care, right? It's all saying the same thing. But is that what Jesus was saying? And uh, I want to say, in, in this passage of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul starts out by saying, I want to remind you what the gospel is. So just give me a quick moment to remind you of what the gospel is. And to do that, there's so many different ways to do that, but I'm going to use one of my favorite stories, the parable, parable of the prodigal son. I'm just going to summarize it for you. It's a very famous story, but in this story, uh, there's a father, very wealthy father with two sons, an older son and a younger son. The younger son says to his father, I want half of my inheritance. Give it to me so I can go and do whatever I want. Kind of like I wanted to do. Now, what that, was, what that meant to the, to the father back then, maybe even today, is like, I don't really care about you. You're kind of in my way. I want to get your stuff and do with it what I will. Please. <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, anyone hearing the story back in, in Jesus' day would be like, oh, the father's going to beat the, you know, whatever out of this guy. And, but he doesn't. He actually just gives him his half of the inheritance. And so the younger brother goes off, spends it a little too quickly, and then comes back one day groveling to the father hoping for some help because he's used up all his stuff. And the father doesn't like, oh, now you're coming back. Let's see. No, he goes, he runs to the guy. He throws a party for the younger brother. That's part of the gospel. That's what it means. If you're a younger brother and you think the father is waiting for you with folded arms or doesn't want you back, he can't wait to have you back. But the story doesn't end there. There's an older brother and when the older brother finds out that there's a party being thrown for the younger brother, he's furious. Why? It's his money that's being used. It's his inheritance now, right? All that's left should be the older brothers, but it's being used to welcome back the younger brother who, you know, didn't make wise decisions. And so the story shifts, and it's focusing now on the elder brother's response. The elder brother doesn't come home. He's far away. He's not come in. And the father pursues him as well goes out, runs out to wherever he is, trying to plead with him, come to the party. And the older brother's like, how dare you? You've never given me anything like this party, and I've served you all these years. Where's the fairness in that? The, the father says, everything I have is yours, but didn't we have to celebrate? The younger brother is back. And so the gospel is both welcoming folks who are like the younger brother, but also the older brother. And sometimes the older brother has a harder time knowing that they need the gospel. Because the older brother serves God, has been with God, has been religious in church to get the things of God, not for God's sake. Has it ever felt like that? Like, I'm working hard, I'm doing what I need to do, but God's not blessing me. He's not giving me the life that I was expecting. This deal isn't working out as it should. That's the older brother. And God's saying, come back, come into the party. I want you. For Christians, if you're, if you're here and you're not a Christian and you're complaining about Christians behaving like the older brother, there's a category for that. That's not the gospel. That's religion. <laughs> uh, the gospel is both for the person who wants to run away from God, who's irreligious, and for the person who is religious and moral and thinks they're with God, but is really running away in their own heart. So, that's the gospel. Now, it's a nice story, and I think it's compelling. I found it compelling. But is it true? And we just talked about how it, how it is likely true. But the resurrection makes both undergirds the gospel, and it also gives us a power to live in a way that we wouldn't otherwise, right? So, for example, let me just, uh, let's do our third point here, the impact of the resurrection today. If the resurrection happened, it helps us face any challenge, even death, with poise, the younger kids might say being chill, 
sensitivity to suffering, and active engagement to renew the world. So first, the resurrection helps us face any challenge because we know God is at work in the darkest, most nonsensical times to us, right? When Jesus died, the disciples were like, what is going on? This doesn't make any sense. They were in despair. The other messianic groups, their disciples, they also did the same thing and they just left. As the disciples did too, because it's only natural, right? But the disciples of Jesus didn't just leave. They came back. They were able to face death because they saw death was not the end, that it had been defeated. One of my grad student leaders, Chloe, uh, you might see pictured toward the end of the slideshow, so it might take him a while to get there. Uh, Chloe, pictured up on the upper left hand, lost her sister, uh, Lonnie, this past year. The upper left hand, that's Chloe. Lonnie lost her, uh, Chloe lost her sister, Lonnie, this past year to random gun violence. Yeah. Lonnie was going about her daily activities when her life was cut short by a stray bullet. So you can see a picture of Lonnie with her family. Lonnie was only 23. Our fellowship came around Chloe to grieve with her. Um, we, we cried with her in prayer meetings, in fellowship, in her apartment, all over the place. Death is not the way things are supposed to be. And this is why Good Friday and Holy Saturday comes before Easter. Holy Saturday, by the way, is that time after Jesus' death, but before the resurrection, where you're just like, what the heck? What's going on? Does anything make sense? At Lonnie's funeral, we all cried. And yet with the whole town showing up, Lonnie's family pointed everyone through their grief They pointed everyone to the hope they had in the resurrection. They told people, it's the resurrection that helps them keep going. It's the resurrection that helps them continue to love others, even in the midst of the grief. It's the resurrection that helps them not to despair. Chloe wanted me to to encourage you all with their story, that even the resurrection can help us during our darkest times. So the resurrection can help us face anything challenging, but it also makes us sensitive. It doesn't make us stoic. Stoics are like, yes, life sucks. Just, just deal with it, right? But that's not Jesus. That's not what suffering does. For Christians, suffering helps us become more aware of what it feels like to suffer. And Jesus, um, when he was asked about the uh, Lazarus, right? He's, he's going back to heal Lazarus. There might be a scripture that goes up. Um, he doesn't just say when somebody comes to him you know, grieving, he doesn't just say, oh, come on, I'm, just gonna, I'm about to heal them. Don't you trust me? He doesn't say that. What he says instead is, well, it says that he, he was grieved and moved in his soul. It says that he wept. That's not stoicism. That sensitivity to the suffering of others, realizing it's not supposed to be. The, and Jesus was about to heal Lazarus. So he knows there's going to be a happy ending, but that doesn't mean that this shouldn't have happened, that it shouldn't be this way. So he weeps and mourns. And then he does raise Lazarus from the dead. Lastly, the resurrection helps to send us out. It sends us out into the world to transform it as Jesus' disciples were supposed to imitate Christ. And his project was one of reconciliation and renewal, to help people come back to the Father's house for a party and to renew the world, to make it a better place from all the brokenness. Doing so involves great sacrifice. And so what the resurrection does is it helps us to to risk ourselves. Paul says uh, in 1 Corinthians again, right? He says, I face death every day. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained, right? If the resurrection didn't happen, why should we sacrifice ourselves for others? doesn't make sense. It's not... um, Survival of the fittest, advantageous, logical, you know. Um, but if he did rise from the dead, then we know that this life is not the main thing. It's the precursor to the next, and God wants us to be part of his restoration project. Paul says about death um, that one day it'll be swallowed up. He ends 1 Corinthians 15 by saying, When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality... Then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. 
Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he has given us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Are you able to stand firm? I'll close with this. Um, our, our black brothers and sisters have had a lot of, a lot of pain the last 100, 400 years, and recently. Esau Macaulay is a black New Testament scholar. He was trained by N.T. Wright, Anglican priest. He wrote a reflection on Good Friday this past uh, Friday <laughs> that appeared in the Times two days ago. Um, his reflection on, the, on Good Friday, the crucifixion, resurrection, was in light of the historic and past suffering that black bodies have suffered. He sums up the resurrection hope like this. I am often asked what gives me hope to go on. Given the evil I see in the world, I find encouragement in a set of images more powerful than the photos, videos, and funerals chronicling black death. The vision of all those black bodies who trusted in God, called back to life, free to laugh, dance, and sing, not in a disembodied spiritual state in some heavenly afterlife, but in this world remade by the power of God. This is the hope that had black Christians throwing their bodies at wave after wave of anti-black racism so that their children, even if only for a moment, might rest a while on the shore. For them, belief in God's power over death fueled their resistance. It may be a fool's hope, but I believe that their struggle was not in vain. I trust that all those bodies engulfed in the sea of hatred will one day play with their descendants on a beach, singing the songs of Zion with no more waves to threaten them. Brothers and sisters, death will one day die. One day, Lonnie will be with Jesus again. In our, we, we will be with Lonnie and Jesus again in our resurrected, transformed bodies in the renewed and restored creation. Today, as disciples of Jesus, we imitate Christ by inviting others to join us at the party, at the banquet, at the feast, and working to prepare the current heavens and earth for God's final restoration and renewal of all things. Do you want to be a part of that? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for coming into this world, for giving up all your power, your privilege, your position, everything, to come and save us from ourselves, from sin, from death. We ask that you would help us to experience you anew. If, if there's anyone here who is um, skeptical of this, help them think about what next steps they might take to uh, figure out whether you're here or not. If there's anyone who feels moved, like, I, I want this now, help them to see you opening your arms, throwing a party for them. If there's anyone here as a Christian who feels like they've strayed too far, help them to see you there, welcoming them back as well. Help us all have the courage that Paul had to face death every day so that we might be agents of your reconciliation in this world. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So after we close here, we're going to hear uh, some baptisms and continue to hear a few examples of stories of uh, the impact of the resurrection in people's lives. So we're going to switch to that. And... Um, yeah, it's Charlotte and Dan and Letitia will be getting baptized as a public display of their faith and the work God has been doing. Yeah, yeah, feel free to, yeah. It's also a way of uh, them coming, committing to our church family and we're committing to them as well. So yeah, let's uh, welcome them up to uh, baptism. Nope, not yet. I'm getting the order wrong. Sorry. Oh, videos, videos. That's what's next. My name is Sherilyn English, and I've been at NUCOM four and a half years. My spiritual journey has come in stages throughout my lifetime, and growth has not always been easy for me. I struggled through trauma as an adolescent and anxiety and depression as an adult. I face hopelessness and a sense of brokenness. However, I did always believe that Jesus would help me grow stronger and that I would find healing and restoration through Him. When I came to Newcom, 
I was searching for a way to commit to a way of life that reflected Christ more fully. It was through service here and a growing faith in God's plan for me that I began to experience reconciliation and redemption working on me. Even though my progress seemed slow, at first, and though I didn't really realize that change was taking place, I began to be able to quiet the noise and distractions and experience joy in the process. God was working on me, and I didn't even know it. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. I had to stop striving, stop fighting, and relax to see the clarity in His Word. I am a work in progress, and I know stillness is a habit that takes time. Matthew 6.27 says, Can all your worries add a single second to your life? I want to continue to serve the Lord by serving others and give thanks to God for bringing me this far and to this church and for helping me to focus less on myself and more on Him to experience His grace. My story can be summed up through Newcom's mission statement. More specifically, Christ, community, and cause. First, Christ, Proverbs 22.6, says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. This definitely defines and describes my childhood growing up in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I'm the youngest of 11 children, and our parents always taught us that Christ should be the center of our lives. I looked to my parents when I was younger for a lot of guidance in terms of how I should live in a Christian lifestyle or a Christian household, and I thought that I could continue to lean on them for support as I grew into an adult. Unfortunately, my mother passed away when I was 18 of colon cancer and my father at the age of 23 from stroke. But both of my parents instilled in both me and my, all of my siblings the importance of what it means to be a believer. Even though they passed away early, I knew that I could continue to trust God as He continued to guide me and direct me. Second, community. One of my other big changes that happened in my life happened about nine years ago when I made the move from Minneapolis to Chicago. Moving to a new city and a new location, I knew right away that I needed to find community. I found Newcom relatively quickly and connected with individuals who continue to nurture and pour into me. I can tell you I definitely feel the Spirit of Christ with these individuals. So I'm reminded of a very recent situation, a struggle that I was going through, trying to turn an idea into an action and not having good results. A close friend with truthfulness but kindness said to me, your schedule is already full, so trying to take on an additional item might be a struggle for you. While that was difficult to hear, it was exactly what I wanted and needed to hear at the moment because that was some of the tension that I had been going through. So I'm so grateful for the community that surrounds me. Third cause, my long-term career goal has been to work in urban real estate development. This has been a desire of mine for many, many years, and yet I have not achieved this goal. While I am not there yet, I know that God has a plan for me, a cause specifically surrounding urban development that was instilled in me before my birth. Because of this, I'm very encouraged by the verse that says, or Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 that says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path. I first felt God calling me toward Him when I was about like 13 years old, uh, when my great aunt gave this powerful like proclamation that God is the one who wakes us up in the morning. And I felt what would be the first of many stirrings of my heart and my spirit. Um, and this like yearning to just want to know more about this God who wakes us up in the morning. Ages 13 to 18 were really a particularly difficult time at home. Um, mental illness was like a plague that made my home life unstable, unpredictable, and heartbreaking. But God put people in my life, friends who became family, um, where I could really like seek refuge and, and see healthy fight family 
dynamics modeled. Um, and at the same time, I still struggled with my racial identity and strained parental relationships. So much of the time, I felt like a burden to so many for so long. Over the last like 13 years, I've prayed a lot that God would help me work through these like feelings. Um, but it really wasn't until I moved to Chicago like nearly four years ago that I really began to intentionally like get to learn about God and who he was and really start to build a relationship with him. This last year was particularly uh, a powerful transformative period in my relationship with God. A year ago, I was in was at a company that was becoming increasingly toxic for me. I also realized like God awakened a desire to want more for my work, for my life. And that was something that kind of lingered, but it, it didn't stay strong for too long. Uh, my, my work continued to go downhill and I became increasingly unhappy and unfulfilled. I felt a loyalty to my team and to my clients. And now I realized that I was really just terrified to admit that I, I just couldn't do it anymore. I had been drowning for so long, I finally hit the bottom and couldn't drown anymore. Um, so at the end of October, I took a week off to focus on my mental health. And really my prayer was, God, meet me in this place and, and show me what my next step is with clarity and help me to be at peace with whatever that may be because y'all know how God just be throwing some curveballs sometimes and so like I just really wanted to be at peace with whatever this was. Um, one night during that week I was praying what do I need God what do I need and, and two things came to mind. The first was time and the second thing that came to mind was I think I need to quit my job whether or not I have something lined up. And that was really scary. And also I did feel at peace because as soon as I kind of said that out loud that like, I think I need to quit my job, immediately like 10 different things popped out of like, okay, like I, I can do this because X, Y, and Z. And I really feel like I'd put those in my mind to remind me that like, it, you are okay. Like I've been preparing you for this moment for the last two years. So that time was really um, a time where God showed me a lot of reminders of what was important to me and um, the gifts that he had given me. And through LinkedIn, I saw different posts that like gave me deeper reflection about myself and, and about the work I might wanna do. And um, eventually I found a job and I've been there for five weeks now and I really like it. And I know that this is the job that God wanted me to have because it fulfills all my prayers. It, I, I didn't realize too how God was preparing me for this role. The first week I immediately fell right back into my old bad work habits. I wasn't eating, I wasn't sleeping, and I was, I was honestly scared. <laughs> um, but I realized that just because I have a new job like doesn't mean that these old familiar like habits go away. Um, and Jesus said in Matthew 9, 16 to 17, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment for the patch will pull away, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wine skins. If they do, the skins will burst, the, the wine will run out and the wine skins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wine skins and both are preserved. I realized that I too would need a new wineskin. I would need to be intentional about building new healthy habits. So I feel like this last year was just like God putting together the most beautiful puzzle for me. And the full picture is like me on a journey through the wilderness with a light at the end of the forest. And the light feels like liberation and freedom. And I feel God's love for me and am humbled by the grace that I've been given that I do not deserve. Right now I'm in a season of like, it's really exciting and it's, and it's also still the wilderness because I'm being challenged to leave behind these old familiar ways and, and choose something new. And 
and it's hard, but I, I feel at peace knowing that God is with me and that He's on this journey with me and He will provide the love and, and the support that I need um, to really live out His dream for me. Good morning and happy Easter to you. He is risen. Let's do that again, especially you kids. I want to hear you. He is risen. Woohoo! Yes, he is. My name is Michelle Sanchez, and I serve the Evangelical Covenant Church denomination of which we are a part as executive minister of Make and Deepen Disciples. And today I am so overjoyed that we get to greet three disciples in Christ. We get to celebrate with them as they take an important step. <laughs> they are taking a vital step in faith today by receiving baptism. We get to participate and celebrate with them. Today, Sherilyn, Daniel, and Letitia are presenting themselves to the church to experience the sacrament of holy baptism. Friends, we rejoice in God's promises to all those who would take this significant step of faith. Family in Christ, on this Easter day, we come to claim the promises of a new covenant, rejoicing that our Savior, Jesus Christ, instituted baptism as a visible sign of an inward covenant. Our washing with water by the word, our dwelling in Christ who was crucified and who has risen, our bonding in water with brothers and sisters in Christ, and our commissioning to serve the world in Jesus' name. All right, it's time. Sherilyn, Daniel, and Letitia, you may now rise and join me here along with the sponsors who are going to be standing with you. Come on up. And you can line up right here. I want to take a moment to explain who is standing with them. We have invited each candidate um, to name a person that they would like to stand with them for prayer and for encouragement. And so for the past month, they've been walking together, they've been praying together, they've been discussing how God is at work in the lives of each of them. Because new community, we know, we cannot do this life of faith alone. We do it together in community. So let us now hear baptism's promise and call from the word of God. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, said Jesus Christ. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. And also from the book of Acts, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And finally, from the book of Romans, do you not know that all who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. 
Friends, these are the promises of God in baptism given by our Lord to each and every one of us. All right, candidates, I've got some questions for you. Do you now desire to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? If so, say, I do. Proclaiming this covenant with Jesus Christ, do you renounce all the powers of evil and declare your opposition to a way of life in contradiction to the gospel? If so, say, I do. Do you repent of your sins, confessing Christ as your Savior and Lord, and living as his faithful disciple? If so, say, I do. Will you devote yourself to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread, and to prayer? If so, say, I will. And, empowered by the Holy Spirit, will you do all in your power to participate fully in the life of this congregation, to passionately love Jesus Christ, to intentionally engage in authentic community, and to radically advance the cause of Jesus. If so, say, I will. And now I have a question for the sponsors. We are so grateful that you represent what we all must do in supporting one another in this life of faith. My question for you, will you continue to walk with Sherilyn, Daniel, and Letitia in this new life in Christ and in the fellowship of his church? If so, say, I will. And now you have a question too. Since we are members of one another in the fellowship of the church, which is the body of Christ, the responsibility for caring for the newly baptized must be shared by all. Understanding this, people of God, will you promise to uphold and support Sherilyn, Daniel, and Letitia in their life in Christ? If so, say, with God's help, we will. Let us pray. God, our creator and redeemer, you have called us from death to new life. We thank you for your saving love in Jesus Christ, our Lord, for this sacrament of grace and what it means to be the church. As we baptize with water, we ask that you do what only you can do and baptize with the Holy Spirit. As we speak, may it be your word. As we act, may it be your work in us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Now, a couple of instructions for you. Friends, today is a celebration. So that means when the candidate comes out of the water, rising to new life, we want to hear you. Okay? All right, listen, listen. There's a party that goes on in the heavens for every life in Christ. So we want to be part of that party here. I want people who are on the sidewalk to understand. There is a party going on here, okay? Got it? All right, that is your role today. So candidates and sponsors may join me one by one in the pool.
Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for Easter, for this celebration of new life. We thank you that you came into our world and punched a hole through death on your way out. We thank you that you come into this world, into our very lives through your spirit, renewing us into your image so that we can go out and be part of your project of renewal in this world. We, we thank you for, for Dan, for Letitia, for Sherilyn. We pray that you would continue to work in their lives, helping them to reflect your beauty, your love, your grace to everyone around them. And may that be true of us as well as we reflect you to them and them to us. Help us to also reflect to the world around us, to our neighborhood, to our coworkers. Help us to be Easter um, every day, reflect Easter every day. So we thank you for all that you've done. We thank you that um, you, you don't just stop working on Easter. You, you're going to be with us when we leave here Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and Saturday too. And uh, yeah, we look forward to walking with you in the midst of each other in every way. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.